Oh, the things we say before we start the show that we can't say during the show. Yeah. That's just, there's a whole world of stuff out there that we wish we could talk about, but probably shouldn't. Or that we wish we didn't have to deal with. That's true, too. There is that. Hi, I'm George Tekmachov with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're back for another Easton podcast, and I've lost track, but Jay, Jay will know which one this is. Are we recording this time? We are recording this time. I didn't screw up on the uh, complicated digital recorder. <laughs> yeah, there's what, a story here. three buttons and all. All right, so, all right, a little later in the show, we have a special guest. And, you know, we talked to our special guest day before yesterday. So <clears throat> we sat down with our special guest, and 15 minutes into the conversation, I looked down at the recorder, and somewhat to my horror, I realized it wasn't actually recording. Oops. We just lost 15 minutes of really good it stuff. It was golden, too. It was really good. We'll never get it back. Never. So, But what we do have for you coming up later in the show is still pretty good. So stick yeah. around because it'll be coming up shortly. So uh, Steve uh, recovered from winning the world championship. And there's just one thing that we didn't talk about. And that uh, that's the World Cup final. Yes, we had not gotten there yet. That is the big enchilada of the World Cup circuit every year. And, you know, it's uh, world archery is making that a bigger and bigger event every year, it seems. Yeah, it almost seemed forgotten this year because the uh – the gap between Olympics, yeah. Paralympics, World Field. Well, World just, Cup three was, you know, we only had three World Cups June. and World Cup three. That was in June or July or something. Back in June, yeah. Yeah. So then you uh, you go three months and shoot here in September in Colombia or uh, Colombia, Denmark. Uh, Denmark, yeah. Yeah. So you know, as a result, um, yeah, maybe it got a little less attention this year let's say maybe from the archery community but i think it was still uh still pretty important particularly important if you're actually there and um this year a lot of great shooters fought it out and uh found themselves at odense on the uh on the finals stage our predictions were pretty good not too bad we did all right i almost nailed it with seppi yep and uh we we got the uh, we got the uh, Marcella pick. Yes, absolutely. Fourth place still sucks for Chef, <laughs> oh. as he put it. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's, well, know, he he ended up what second there? No, I, I, he was fourth. Uh, pretty sure Brady beat him in the final. Oh, in the final. Yep, I think he's referring to his Olympic finish. That no matter even if he had done well at the final. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He still felt like fourth at the Olympics yeah. sucked. It all blends together. But, yeah, let's face it. It's uh, it's a tough deal. You know, um, yeah, it was Chef versus Brady for the gold final in Odense. And uh, Kuban Chan, the Olympic champion, versus uh, Mr. Wei of Chinese Taipei for the bronze. Tanya Ting versus Maya Yeager for the recurve women. So there's another not bad call on our part. Yeah. We talked about Maya possibly doing pretty well at this thing. And so she we did pretty well. We mentioned Tanya Ting. And Senya Perova versus uh, Wu Jiaxing for the recurve uh, women's uh, other quarterfinal there uh, at that time. So, you know, all in all, a lot of good matches, as you'd expect at that level. And some solid performances. Mm-hmm. Kibo Bay securing her second World Cup crown. And we were kind of unsure how she would do because of the shoulder thing. So, yeah. You uh, just to recap for those listeners who didn't uh, catch that information, um, when Kibo Bay was at the Olympic Games in Rio, she was getting a lot of work done on her shoulder. Yeah, physio work. So obviously she's okay. Well, okay, okay enough, enough to win the World Cup final, in which fact, is really not a lot of arrows. So mm. yeah, it's you know if you can go out and shoot forty-five arrows, you're fine. She had to beat her teammate Choi Misun to do it. Which um, I think I picked Choi. So. Yeah, and and that was a reasonable reason to do that because Miss Choi had just come off of, uh, you know, obviously a uh, tremendous effort at, in terms of the qualifying round at least mm-hmm. for Rio, and then she's the defending World Cup final champion too, uh, going into that. So, pretty impressive stuff there. Um, it wasn't a lot of time to prepare really for for Kibo Bay. I think uh, she was quoted as saying that. She was just going to try to enjoy herself, and she thought maybe that helped her win. Good call. Yeah, a little different, you know. 
Um, so it's it seems to me that from the standpoint of uh, just overall performance after the Olympic Games, pretty solid thing there from from Kibo Bay. And, uh, you know, I think that, as you pointed out, she's in good enough shape to have shot this thing. She'll probably be okay going forward. On the men's recurve side, Brady Ellison uh, with a great performance there. We won the Longines Precision Prize. In fact, uh, he's been the recurve men's winner of the Longines Precision Prize. He's four for four. Four for four since they started doing since it? They start, really? Well, you know that it alternates, right? So yeah. since they started doing it and became and it was the recurve men's Longines Precision Prize, you know, because it alternates from year to year, mm. uh, Brady's received it all four times it's been awarded. Because hmm. that started in 2010. Um, and obviously, the further you go, the more 10 count you're going to rack up. Right. So, you know. Make some medal matches and you'll be there. Yeah. So Brady got it in 2010, 2012, 2014, and now in 2016. Very cool. He says that he really likes this prize for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I'm the only person that wins it. So I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a nice collection of watches. Yeah, he's probably got, you know, four of the same. We were chatting with our friend Sarah Lopez the other day, and she was um, she was talking to somebody else. Was it Sergio Pagni? Yeah, she was talking Mike. with oh Mike Schlusser about the collection of Longines watches that she's accumulated. And, and she offered to trade one style of Longines winner's watch for another, as I recall. Yeah, she has, you know, she has five of the same watch. Yeah. And I think Mike had four or five of the same watch as well. So. Yeah, but not the same watch, right? I mean, Mike's Well, Mike's is the men's version. Right. Hers is the women's. So. Right. So she yeah. was sort of, uh, I don't know. She's I, looking to make to, a swap. Trying to make a swap yeah. there, you know. Not a, not a terrible idea, you know. Uh, yeah, so Mike and, and Sarah both have, uh, have those and, uh, you know, from their wins, right? And it seems to me that uh, if you've got five of the same exact, I've got two of the exact same watch. I have two of the exact same Omega watch. Mm. And you may ask yourself, why do I have two? And that's because two is one and one is none. Hmm. That applies to handgun magazines. Okay. Cars, motorcycles, and watches. Right. But see, I would look at it and say, well, you know, something like a watch Two is one, one is none, but two of separate models is one. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, except I I liked the model of the specific watch that I have, and uh, it's immaterial now. It sits in in, in my safe because, or they both sit in my safe, uh, because I wear an Apple watch, so. (laughs) And I'm not going to be one of those people that wears, like, you know, a really nice watch on one wrist and the Apple watch on the other. People Have do you seen, that? Oh my goodness, I've seen it. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. It's awful. <laughs> it's just like oh my I probably goodness. insulted someone listening right now. Well, and if they if they don't like what we just said, we have a great email address for them. <laughs> yeah. It's we don't care at podcast. No, <laughs> just kidding. It's podcast at eastontp.com. That's podcast at eastontp.com. Um, compound side, what uh, what's your take on the compound? portion of the finals for the uh, World Cup. Um Marcella won. It was uh watching her and Sarah Sonicson. Uh, you could almost see it coming, you know. Sarah was Sarah Sonicson was shooting a lot of tens, but she's got that uh command style of shooting and when the punch was not great, it was bad. And she let her she let Marcella right back in. Mm-hmm. And uh Watching the men's side, um, you know, Mikey shot really well. That last arrow was a little hairy, a little scary. But all he needed to do was hit the target. He hit the target. He won, you know. Sometimes that can be a challenge for him when you have that kind of – he's he's interesting under pressure. It was uh, – yeah, I mean, he started out with a, with a perfect 90. And I think he shot a 29 maybe. I don't remember how it all played out, but he didn't need to do anything but hit the target to beat Seppi. And that's what he did. Yeah, Seppi was a 28 machine to start, which I'm sure he's, you know, bummed about. But Well, no, I think Seppi was thrilled to be in the final. Yeah, he should be pumped with the second-place finish. Coming back know? after yeah, he how many even... years off he's been, you know, right. off the circuit, and he's he comes a, back. And... Yeah, he's like a very 
you know, matured shooter. I think not a lot's going to rattle him. He's just going to go and work on making good shots, and that's usually going to work out well for him. Uh, you weren't there, but I can tell you um, one of Seppi's last performances before he went away for a while and then decided to come back, that would have torn anybody up. That was a uh, World Cup final on the beach in Antalya. And, oh, my goodness, it was bad. I mean, just blowing a gale. It was just the worst conditions that I'd seen in some time. So, you know, Seppi, I mean, he, he you know, he put a couple off the target. Mm. And, you know. It happens much. when wins like that. You know it. So, But he's, uh, he's back and uh, made a great statement. So, um, yeah, we, we alluded to, uh, to Mike having some issues when he's under that kind of pressure. He popped a seven, didn't he? He hit win. the target. He won. He hit the target. Yep. And that's all that matters. Yeah, he was, you know, it, uh, you could tell he's done a lot of work and just tried to get his, his head around the uh, shot process in those situations. And I think he'll be okay. He'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, he just he drew back, and when he went to get around the barrel – you could tell he was trying to, you know, ease his thumb over the barrel. He didn't want to be grabbing it and punching it, none of that. And as he got around the barrel, he kind of had a flinch. And he recovered. You know, at this point, clock's maybe getting a little low. He he knows he just needs to hit the target. He gets on the target, and he, he gets an arrow gone. I'll just say, I, we can't talk about the circumstances that we were uh, talking no. with Mike no. recently, no. but I will no. say that that nobody should ever try to do a countdown for Mike. Man, I'll leave it at that. No. And in our next podcast, we'll explain the whole thing, but we'll just leave it alone for now. All right. So uh, I'm thinking it's time for our special guest. Yeah. So we had a very special opportunity to sit down with a good friend of ours, the Sultan of Smooth, Sergio Pani. So let's take a moment and share that interlude with you as we get ready to talk about indoor season. So as we uh, told you at the start of the show, we've got a special guest with us here today. Yeah, we've got uh, the Sultan of Smooth, Sergio Pagni. Here I am. One of my favorite <laughs> shooters. I, I know he's a favorite of many around the world. And yeah, Sergio, I, I we're so happy to have you here in Salt Lake City. You say to every every person here. Uh, you no. Know, yeah. Well, maybe I say that to Sarah Lopez, but <laughs> okay. she's here too. But uh, I, I'm really happy you're here. <laughs> Me too. I'm and, very happy. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's so much we could talk about. We have a limited amount of time. But everybody's got to know what it was like for you to win Vegas. So that's where we want to start. Yes, it's, it's, a very, it's emotionally because uh, Vegas is the biggest indoor and the biggest tournament for the professional archer. And to be one in, uh, in the list of the, of the winning champion of Vegas, uh, knowing that my name will still on the list, and also in the 50th edition of, of, of the yeah. competition. Mm-hmm. So is uh, something big like the check that I received. So I'm very happy to, to, yeah. to, to stay. There's very few accidental champions at Vegas. You know, the, the winners are generally from the, the cream. And you, you don't get there without being a, a great archer. Oh, thanks. But sometimes it's not, uh, it's not important you are big, but you have to be big. And you have to be lucky. And fortunately, I have a lucky dog, well, so I'm yeah. very lucky. You, you kind of made your own luck a little bit, but we'll talk yeah. about the lucky dog. No, but. no, but the, yeah, every time that yeah, for a shoot-off or for a millimeter line or just for a line touch or not touch, I'm sure that the fortune is uh, is important in our sport, all in all the sport, but... In our especially, so, I won every single tournament in indoor, and uh, some twice, some some three times. So I'm I'm never supposed that uh, Vegas will be in my winning list. Well, you've shot 903 times, right? Yeah, and uh, you only won Vegas when you shot an 899. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I've done. Yeah, guys from at home don't never mind about nine hundred. Just, <laughs> just make it count yeah, that lucky dog shoot off. Yeah. To make a lucky dog. Yeah. No, I I, I make nine hundred. The first time I was the first time I was in Vegas ten years uh, ago, but uh, I was me with my twenty threes. So very, uh, you know, not confused, but. Hey, it's Vegas. Come on. Just to clarify. Let's just try. Yeah. Sure. Just to clarify for the listeners, 
uh, Sergio shot the 23 diameter maximum world archery compliant arrows yeah. because he also was shooting the indoor World Cup. Yeah. And so you didn't change to 27s like almost everybody else is shooting yeah, in that in final shoot down. Yes, we, uh, I tried the first time with the 27, but you know, we have so many tournaments with the 23s. And we have not to practice a lot with the 27. And uh, right now, we have some tournament in Europe, so you can you can practice uh, a little with the 27, and you can be a little more confidential with with this uh, this arrow and with the rules because you know in Italy we have uh, the small ten and the big ten. Now we have not no more the big ten, but. A lot of archers in Italy say me, oh, I make so many competitions. I never uh, go out from the Big Ten. Yes, because the rules is not that. When you go to Vegas, the rule is mm -hmm. not miss, no, nothing. And the big one becomes very, very small. So <laughs> dropping one is... Uh, is very easy. Just a moment on, I'm focusing on the, on the shot and you're out. You have shot in some world-class stages, world championships, outdoor you know, the first man to win two consecutive World Cup grand finals. Yes, I missed the third one, but... <laughs> well, but there's pressure in each one of those situations. Yeah. Is that like the pressure of Vegas, or is it more pressure uh, in Vegas, you it's think? It's different, because uh, during a normal tournament, you know exactly what it's, you have to do. Uh, you have to make, uh, right now, 15 arrows matches. So you have to wait, your adversary shot one, you shot another one. The speaker say if you make 10 or not, say if the other one make 10 or not, and is completely different. In Vegas, for me, was the first and we have to shoot a 30 because there will be a second end and will be a third one and we will see when yeah, someone shoot off yeah. yeah. Uh, and in the, in the shoot off, for example, for me, it was uh, very easy to shoot the first 30 because I was not have a pressure to know that the other one was dropping yeah, you, one. Yeah, you expected one of the other five yeah, to shoot Yeah, I was sure. I was absolutely sure. Because I, I was out every time on the first and when I was in the finals. So I was every time making 29 and so many 30. So I said, okay, this time I want to be one of the oh, the, the one that makes the first 30. How many Vegas finals for you was this one? This one was the fourth one. Fourth one. Yeah. I make so, three times... Uh, like uh, 900 and not a lot of fixes but because you know we we don't care about that but knowing about uh, the how strong you are making a good number of fixes is a good advantage in there well so uh, you know bucket list item checked off for Sergio yeah and uh, maybe a little bit of a life-changing experience from the standpoint of <laughs> having a little extra money for yeah for Pia that's for sure <laughs> my wife is very happy about the thing <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you know what they say so um, looking forward now yeah. you're getting ready for indoor season as we speak yes. here at the Eastern Archery Center indoor season's right around the corner yes uh, well is uh, every single year I say this the same thing another season another lot of competition mm -hmm. we have just to stay in the line just to try to compete i talk with a lot of archers that want to make a professional archer they well, yeah i want to try yes but yeah but if you don't try to be on the shooting line you never know if you can win or not i remember the first time i was in vegas i never i never say to someone that i will go to vegas to make 900 no, but if I stay at home, for sure, I will not compete. So now we have a lot of uh, competition, and uh, Marrakesh is start to be bigger and bigger. First leg of the Indoor First World leg, Cup. Yeah, I will drop the Asian one because it's too far. Bangkok. And yes, yeah. so I will compete in Nimes. Yeah, competing in Nimes is not competing like in a, in other other competition because you know that you can. It's like a Vegas right now. You can drop so much. The cut was uh, normally five eighty eight, five eighty nine. So you can drop so much. You have to be uh, over the over the ninety. Yeah, the level keeps coming up. Yes, all the time. and also the money in Vegas <laughs> give to a lot of person the <laughs> idea that I have to compete 
in him so to yeah. qualify for the final. So do you, do you I mean do you think uh going to Vegas this year it'll be a little weight off your back maybe it'll be a little easier to compete there? Well, I as a as in the World Cup I I want to work up in a row but I never think about the I have the reigning champ and I have to protect my title. Every title is its own thing. Yes, it's something. You are just one. You have not to repeat to say to someone, hey, you see, it's not just because I was lucky. <laughs> it's because I am. So I think that in, in, my, in my opinion and in my fortune, I, I won so many titles, so many things. Vegas also. Yeah, I hope for sure to win also this one because they... Uh, they know that I'm fine so well with 50,000 that now is 51. So is uh, is uh, th- what well, thanks to the NFA, but is a uh, a lot of competition and uh, the level is better. Yeah, the level is be. better. I'm quite sure that I will go to compete as well. And but if you I, know, ten years now, yeah. you have been on top. I think you won Neiman. What was the first 2006. time? 2006. Okay, I was going to say seven. So ten years. Yeah. And then you won Neem again. Yeah. And and, and third, again. Third time. <laughs> and the world champion in Neem. And Neem I like Neem. Four time in 10 years. Yeah, well, they've got good announcers in Neem. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the consideration of change in our sport, as the level comes up, as you know, yeah. we talked about this a little bit earlier. Yeah. Uh, as you know, there's some changes in store for Vegas. Yes. Now, Steve and I talked about those in the podcast last week, mm-hmm. and... I talked to you about this a little bit. I want to get you to share your feelings about the first the drug testing that's coming into play yes. in the premier category in Vegas. What do you think? I think is is a good is a good news because uh, we in the world archery we are uh, normally under the drug test uh, we are under VADA and so we receive so many testing during the season that we have uh, for us is normal. Uh, I suppose that one U.S. guy that normally takes some medicine for a normal flu <laughs> because uh, is is strange, but uh, is ten years that I'm under the the VADA as a ten years that every time I went to the doctor, I went to the uh, dentist. I have to be sure what I'm taking because mm-hmm. it's, a, yeah. it's very important about that. Just a, a little disease and. You take something that you are not sure, and the last the day before you have a, a control, and so is is very important for us to be every time in the in in a condition. And Steve, as you, as you and I have talked before, you know, as our sport becomes more professional, we have to have this kind of uh, advancement in clean sport in making sure we have a level playing field. Yeah, I mean that's you you can't have any questions out there. You know, so to me, that's the first step is is the drug testing. And, you know, I told Bruce, you probably don't even have to test anybody the first year. Just say you're going to, you know, and uh, I'm sure they will. They, they don't want to, you know, uh, balk at that. Yeah. But, you know, some <laughs> of the a other big bluff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like I said, it's the it's the start of making our sport a little more professional. I, I always you know, harp on it. We, to be a pro in archery, you need $75. And I kind of think that's lame to a point, but you know, we want to grow the pro archery division, but how do you do that while, you know, growing it competitively, um, including those who want to participate, uh, and including those who are qualified to participate. It's kind of a hard thing to do. I think along with the, the drug testing, the $500 entry fee is going to weed out a little bit of that so i don't, I don't know what you think sergio i agree no no i'm i'm agree because it's a uh, uh, making high level of competition needs some uh, some not it's not a disease for an archer but is something that you live in is a sport and you have to be uh, drug free the 500 hundred dollar fee that's uh you're getting something out of that besides mm-hmm. the payback potential yeah. Uh, you are going to have a opportunity for practice in a more controlled situation. Yeah. Snacks. I think there's snacks. <laughs> I, I heard there's snacks. Yes. Yeah. And, and the water, I suppose. Right? Probably water, sure. which yeah, is yeah. important in Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Yes, we have some privileges. Yeah, uh, I find very well in every situation in Vegas, but making this high high number of participants now is uh, when you want to practice. You have sometimes find a forty five minutes line and is yeah give a, for a professional give a, sometimes a little disease that the normal arch normal the archer that just want to to participate on the flights or the other mm-hmm. festival is something that uh, who don't cares yeah right yeah i mean it's and i don't i don't want to say it like uh you know being a snob or anything but there are the people who are there for fun and they want to go warm up and shoot well and absolutely they should you know but then there's the people who do this for a living yeah you know and and kudos to bruce he's not taking away any of the practice area that's already available he's adding more so all for that. Yeah. Got it well planned out. Well, unfortunately, we're short on time. So yeah. we're going to wrap up for now. But Sergio, we're really looking forward to seeing you as the circuit continues. We'll see you again in Neep. Yes, for sure. And uh, thank you for coming out to Salt Lake City. Thank you to you to invite me. <laughs> That's just a, such an awesome guy, Sergio. You know, spending a little time with him here, he was really funny. I, I didn't know that side of him too well. He's a funny guy. He's got a great sense of humor. And, um, you know, just a classy individual. Someday uh, we'll have to have him share the story about go-kart racing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here I, in Salt Lake. I'm sure there are stories to be told there. Yeah. I think they enjoyed dinner. All right. So um, next step, we, we touched on Vegas with Sergio, and we touched on some aspects of indoor. And now it's time to uh, talk about uh, just – let me just ask you before we head to some of our listener questions that we've got. We've got a bunch on Facebook and in, in our uh, our podcast web, or our, I should say our podcast email. Um, indoor season, you're getting ready. You're setting up some arrows. Yeah, I had you know talked about playing some golf and stuff, but that's that's proving to not be happening. One of the challenges uh, is wrapping your head around. Um, you know, some of that lost 15 minutes of gold, we did talk about how hard it is to stay in the game at that level of intensity when you've had such a grueling season. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you want to just kind of kick back and not have anything to do with it. But at the same time, as long of a season as it was for me personally, it ended well, and now it's kind of a, a refresher to get back behind the bow again, um, you know, a little quicker. I, I think if I had gone and had a disappointing tournament, in Ireland, I would be just moping around and, you know, finding excuses to not be digging out the indoor arrows and shooting a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to still find a plenty of time to play some golf, you know. All right. Let's uh, – we've got a long list of listener questions, so let's uh, hit some of that. We'll go to our Facebook first. Uh, Robin Jolstad. Steve, when are you going to do that arrow build video you mentioned a while back? I'd love to start installing my points correctly. So, yeah, all these promises. So, yeah, I, I didn't do the video where I shoot the vein upside down either. Yeah, well, this is it's procrastination, right? You know. All right, yeah, so I learned sometimes something. if there weren't for the last minute, nothing would get done, and no one has told me when the last minute is. Uh-huh. So okay, so um, as you know, I have a I have an executive coach, right? Yeah, yeah. So my executive coach and I sat down this past week, and I said, "Yeah, you know, we're we're talking about stuff and." I mentioned my executive coach, the state of my archery room, which is also my room for reloading pistol ammo and for, you name the hobby, and that's, I've got a whole room just for that. It kind of looks like it's been through a tumble dryer. You know, the contents are all kind of, I literally have to watch where I step. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I gotta gotta get that thing started, but I gotta go to Japan this weekend, and I gotta do this, and I gotta do that. And he looks at me and he goes, hmm. You need to watch this TED talk, and it's about procrastination. I'll explain this to you guys later. Look up the procrastination monkey. (laughs) You'll see what I'm talking about. This is awesome. (laughs) Maybe I should watch it too. You should watch it. I think you'd get something out of it. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of the TED talks. This particular one is about the only one I've ever really enjoyed. It's it's usually a bunch of people telling us how we're wrong or we're stupid or... We should be doing something yes, differently. Yes, but but as I've discovered through coaching, I'm often wrong and stupid. So <laughs> just, just so kidding. am I, but I'm okay with myself. Yeah, but you're self-coached. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So the other the other question from Robin: Changing spiral cams in a podium forty. That's a Hoyt. Uh, going up one size. Will I need to replace my limbs as well? Probably not. If my memory serves me correctly, between sizes one through five, there's only like a five pound difference. If you're going up one size, you may lose, you know, between zero and five pounds. So doubtful. You know, if you're shooting a sixty pound bow probably maxes at 61 um you'll be able to you know max it out around 59 ish i'd imagine you'll be fine lucy berwick says hi guys great podcast thanks thank you lucy uh can you explain the role of nodes and arrow flight especially in relation to drop away rests or does the arrow just need to clear it i use a spigarelli drop away thanks in advance so um first off on a podcast explaining nodes it's like explaining um you know, a continuously variable transmission or something. It's it's going to take a lot of words. But you should just start by explaining what the node is. Uh, but why? <laughs> because here's the answer, Lucy. Uh, it pretty much doesn't matter on yeah. a compound. I agree. I, you know, you can look into nodes, and it's basically the bend point in the front and back of an arrow. All right. So if you if you imagine that the arrow bends on release, whether you're releasing with fingers or releasing with a release aid, the arrow does bend either way because of inertia. Um, there is a point at which if the arrow is vibrating, there are two points on the arrow that appear not to be vibrating because the vibration is taking place between those two points. And those are nodes, a vibration nodes. And on a recurve, that kind of sort of matters for really high performance. Not as much as correct arrow length and correct arrow spine. Which generates proper nodes. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, it's like somebody came to me, it happens all the time, you know about this, uh, FOC, right? Front of center balance, or as some of us like to say, effing overcomplicated is the real meaning. If you have the right, if you if you follow the guidelines, you don't have to worry about it. The guidelines for point weight, the guidelines for how long the arrow should be past the button. If you do all that, you don't need to worry about FOC. It takes care of itself. It's built into the product. So, you know, Lucy, I think you're you're fine not worrying about the nodes as long as you've got good tune for whatever your tuning method is. The Spigarelli drop away is probably like most out there. It, it's cable operated or it operates off of, you know, as long as it's not an inertia, mm-hmm. right? Because an inertia rest is kind of deceptive. They generally don't drop. Yeah, so much as you said, you know, FOC takes care of itself. Nodes will take care of themselves with proper arrow length, proper arrow spine. And the, yeah, exactly. Correct uh, arrow selection and, you know, maybe slightly on the stiff side and you really don't have to worry about it. So hopefully that's helpful. Daniel Coe. Uh, hi, indoors I shoot double X 75 2016s with Supernox. But I would prefer an Easton Small G-Knock on my ACC arrows, as on my ACC arrows. Do you make a uni bushing that will fit the 2016 arrows so I can go to a G-Knock? I looked yesterday. We do not. No. You could, in theory, uh, you know, take a CB bushing and double stack your bushings, but... I don't think I would do that myself. Well, what you could do is you could take a, well, yeah, that's where I was headed with this too. You can. The tolerances on those things are pretty darn tight. I'd spin them. I'd check them. Yeah. You could do that. Um, So that's one option for you, Daniel. The downside of that is, uh, you know, a little more weight in the back. Yeah. What are they, four grains or so? Yeah. So, yeah, it's doable if you really want to shoot a G-knock, but... Well, yeah. a small G, right? Because, uh, you know, obviously he's got a setup that works well with a small G, so I can understand wanting to use that size groove. Yeah, it's true. Okay, uh, Epic Divide. Any tips on vein setup for the various competitions, indoor, outdoor, field, et cetera, as it relates to offset versus helical is that same thing, and how much, et cetera. Thanks for the great work, and congrats, Big Cat. I have doubts that his name's really Epic Divide. I, I think you're probably right. It's like uh, we go to lunch every day with a guy who works here named Gary. And he, he says his name is Coffee to the people at lunch every day. Yeah, because we go to places for lunch where they call your name to pick up your order. They don't bring you the food. So yeah. just so everybody understands our lifestyle here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're, we're talking like Burger King. You know who so. I was today? I was, I was Valentino, <laughs> Valentino today. Valentino. Yeah, because I'd, I'd noticed that there was a George in the line. Uh, so I was like... um, What's your name, sir? Um, Valentino. <laughs> so they, yeah. they didn't even bat an eye. I usually uh, use Eisenhower as my name for uh, reserving a table at a restaurant. However, 
I once tried to use that to uh, as a, a a name for my sandwich pickup at a, a place in downtown Salt Lake called Moochie's, uh-huh. and it's kind of a different place, more of an alternative crowd. And the lady running the register, without batting an eye, said, "You know, she said, can I get a name for your sandwich?'" And I said, "Yeah, it's Eisenhower. Can I get a different name for your sandwich?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, Steve will be fine, but." Just gave you a hard time about Eisenhower because she didn't yeah, want to spell, she didn't it, want to spell it. Yeah, a lot of people can't <laughs> spell it either, but I don't know. Oh, uh, well. If I'm playing golf, our new thing is uh, we, we reserve our tea time under Shooter McGavin, the character from Happy Gilmore. Perfect. Yep. So I don't think I'm going to ever go with a regular name again, much like our friend Epic Divide. Well, anyway, Mr. Divide. Um, so Offset and Helical are not the same thing, first off. Helical actually wraps around the arrow following with the vein foot always normal to the surface of the arrow whereas offset can actually be slightly twisted it's a different different situation yeah 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 the other thing is um as long as you've got clearance so you know that that's good indoors you can get away with murder as long as you've got clearance so go ahead and throw some big stabilization some feathers or something on there with some helical on there if you get clearance and maybe you want to go left wing if you're a right-hand shooter so you get cable clearance. Yeah, a lot of people these days are doing, in my opinion, too much helical. It's that one, you know, we, we always talk. I've said this before on the podcast a thousand times. Too much of a good thing can be bad. Um, find the happy medium because you get too much helical, you're going to have issues with clearance. And okay. you're going to have issues with an arrow that could parachute down to the target. Right, so outdoors, that's where that comes into play. Don't put too much helical on your outdoor arrow. Yeah, I don't do it indoor either. And, and you know, if you're going to shoot the birdie on, on a field round, you know, a little more stability might be a good idea in theory, but, you know, you still got to get clearance. Mm-hmm. Steve Snyder, since the season is over, what sticks does the big cat use, and can he brag about his longest drive downhill with wind behind him? This sounds like somebody with a story. Yeah, I can. And it wasn't downhill, it was flat ground. I was actually, uh, about a year ago, I had about a 30-mile-an-hour wind behind me. 400-yard hole, put it on the other side of the green. Is this it somebody who knows incredible. You? No, maybe. I don't know. You could. But, yeah, it was. I had a hurricane at my back. So <laughs> You were very quick with that story. You didn't <laughs> think about it. Must yeah. have been memorable. <laughs> it was. I was just, I, I swung out of my shoes, and I was just hoping I would first make contact and second be able to find the ball. Sure enough. You know Clear the longest the longest drive I've ever seen in person? Dick Tone's daughter, Erin, who uh, worked for Antigua and worked for works for, I think, maybe Nike Golf now or one of those big golf companies. And she was a ASU, you know, full-ride scholarship, you know, really good golfer, tall girl, right, with super great leverage. Frickin' put one out there, uh, 355 yards, you know, just in Tucson. And I was like, oh, my jaw dropped because I was, I was there with a couple of guys from Canada, friends of mine and uh, shooters, and uh, none of them even came close. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> no, that's a poke. Kevin Sally and, and a couple other guys that, you know, know how to play and pretty solidly built guys. Aaron, half their weight, she freaking drives the ball 350-something yards. It was yeah, just, that, that's like, uh, you know, it all came together. Yeah. That's a that's a good drive for anybody anywhere. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, okay, so uh, Harrison says, for the new world field champion, does shooting an arrow over a body of water affect point of impact? I never heard that one before. Did we? Uh, okay. Oh, we missed Steve Snyder's full question. Oh, did we? He asked me what kind of sticks I'm using, and I think he's referring to golf clubs. Uh, that's what I thought he was. Yeah, only the finest uh, Mizuno irons. And a uh, Cobra driver, actually. Cobra driver. Yep. Mizuno irons. Mizuno irons. Do you know I know Mr. Mizuno? That's, yeah. And I paid full price for my irons. I have, <laughs> I have, I have a cross pen that he gave me uh, with the Mizuno logo on it. You know, we used to be OEM for Mizuno. And Greg Easton spent two years working in Osaka for, for Mizuno. Mr. Mizuno. He was a great guy. He's the, uh, I think, the vice president of the Japan Olympic Committee. Hmm. And he makes awesome stuff, as you know. Yeah, they do good stuff. Okay. I don't think I could have gotten you a discount on your sticks, though. Sorry. Probably not. I didn't want to ask. I doubt I'd get one for myself, too. (laughs) All right. So um, where were we? Oh, yes. Harrison. Does shooting an arrow over a body of water affect point of impact? 
Only if the wind's blowing, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know that I've... Uh, I don't think the arrow knows that it's being shot over any particular surface. I mean, I guess you could say if, you know, it was extremely hot or humid or something. I don't know. I, no. I, I've never noticed it. I think I think what you do probably see is uh, a body of water really opens up for wind. There's nothing there slowing wind down. So I think, that yeah. Part, that part is absolutely true. You might You might not feel wind, but there's... Chances are something is happening. Over I'll tell that you what water. it will mess with is your ability to range estimate. Yeah, it'll do that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. We've got a regular Mr. Juan, Rahafazan Juan. Uh, how this? How's the string uh, cable build and its uh, and its material can impact arrow tune? So, um, you know, the the gist there is probably material based as well as quantity of strands and. It's probably more of a recurve thing. I don't. It, it doesn't change a lot. He said compound. cable. He said cable. Oh, yeah, he did say that. Well, I don't know that I've noticed a difference in tune from, uh, you know, different strings, material, cable, diameters, anything like that, provided all things are equal. You know, it could be different materials, but center serving being the same size. You, you may, on a compound, see one material is a little bit faster than the other. Um, but I've never noticed a, a change in in actual tune and if there is a change in tune and this is something you got to watch for uh people who fight to a, a left hair sometimes if they go to a softer end serving material on their string like a bcy 3d sometimes that'll help correct that uh people who fight a right tear uh, a stiffer and you can you can adjust the you know the tension when you're serving these uh, but a stiffer material like Halo uh, will combat that right tear. So there are some things that can uh, create variance in tune, but all things being equal uh, from material to material on the string itself, I don't think I've noticed a huge difference in tuning. Maybe a little bit in feel, but not in actual remind tune. Me, remind me when I get back from my trip to do a video on how to strip wax properly from a string. Well, if uh, we commit to that video... We'll have to watch a TED Talk first, and then we'll have it done in like three months. Unless we kill the procrastination monkey. Uh. So we can try to do that. All right. <laughs> Our friend in Ohio, Matt Zolman. Um, did you meet Matt when you were out there for the uh, Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he's asking about aperture options for the target recurve, challenges and benefits. It's kind of open-ended, but I think we can touch on that a little bit. Yeah, you got your... Pin or no pin? Pin, ring, uh, Titan-type scope. Okay. Let's just look back a little bit, figure out a couple things. First off, the most successful male archer in American archery history, Daryl Pace, he used to use a drop pin that used to have a level on it, and then he busted the level out of it because it wasn't legal to use a level. And so he had a drop pin. The guy had nerves of steel and could hold on anything, still can. And... um I, I'm not sure I'd recommend a actual pin these days. Um, all the Korean shooters that I know are using a Shiboya aperture with a uh, with the the Shiboya pin in place. If you're a student of Dick Tone, if you start slowing down on the shot, the first thing he'll do is yank that pin out of your aperture and have you shoot with an open ring, which works great. Just ask 88 Olympic champion Jay Bars. Yeah, I think... Uh and there's other things about that. You know, the direction the pin comes in can really coming up from the bottom or coming down from the top or perceive coming, aim. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm using a uh, Shiboya fiber optic aperture, the larger of the two. I think it's 12 millimeters. The pin coming up or from uh, the, the pin right? comes from the right side, <clears throat> and um, but you don't see the pin because it's got an illuminated fiber optic dot dead center, and the rest of it just mm -hmm. fades away. So um, for me, that's working pretty well because. I'm not focused on the pin necessarily, but if I find myself slowing down, I'll change my focus to the dot instead of the target, and it'll allow me to get my pace back up again on, on coming through the shot. And um, I was talking to Chris Webster about this the other day, and, and uh, our friend Chris, uh, who works over at Hoyt now, um, he's wanting to try one, so I'm going to bring back one from Japan for him to try out. Hmm. I think if it were me, you know, and this, this was... Uh, big in my field setup but i was practicing a lot with uh, and i shot trials with a drilled lens and i had 
rigged a fiber to I had wrapped it around the scope and it you know it was through the drilled hole but the fiber entered from the right side of my scope and I found myself moving left and right a lot Mm -hmm. and knowing how I move up and down a lot with the up pin or you know down pin I thought well that's it's not going to work. I think for me personally, a pin coming in from one or two o'clock might work, but I went to a dot, you know, I had, had this pin in there and I shot it and shot it and I couldn't, couldn't like it. I ended up going to just a standard dot on the scope, started aiming a lot better again, started executing a lot faster again and went right back to it. So I think if I, if it was me and I don't see a lot of people with these starting to see more, but you know, the, the small, uh, you know, it looks like a compound scope, the, the Titans are, yeah. there's a few companies making them now. Titan, Titan came out with that, but uh, before that was Ambo. Yeah. And a zero power glass lens yep. with, with a dot. That's something I think a lot of people should be trying. So speaking of the Ambo, um, which is not made anymore, but there's a, there's another company making this. I had one that has a diaphragm type iris, you know, you can rotate it and it opens yeah. and closes. Yeah. They made that illegal for field. Right. It has been always illegal for field and I'm the reason. Um, so, <laughs> cause I, I knew that it would be a really good ranging device, and I went to WA before uh, a particular tournament, and I'm like, um, I, I'm using this, but I think it's going to be a problem. And they're like, you're right. <laughs> anyway, long story short, I gave, I gave one to one Carlos Holgado, who likes it because when he's slowing down, you know, getting a little tight, aiming a little too hard, he just cranks it open, mm. and vice versa. If he's feeling like he's, he's on, he'll crank it down and aim finer. Yeah, it's an interesting little device. Yeah. Brady L and not rust proof, unfortunately. That's the only trouble with them. They, they can rust if you don't. Uh, I use a little synthetic oil on mine. It worked great. Um, Brady Ellison uses, uh, I think, an O eleven, like a really small fiber optic. Couldn't tell you. Um, and and I think Jake and I think AAE makes those. And um, so you know they're more aiming oriented these days in recurve than I used to be. So, yeah. Anyway, all that stuff works, Matt. The question is, what allows you to keep your timing? Your your timing is important. If you start slowing down because of what you're seeing, that's when it's time to consider doing something different. Yep. There's a fine balance between aiming well and executing well. Jeff Jenkins, X7 Eclipse or X27? Why one shaft or the other, other than finish color? Talking about a 27 spine, 2712 spine. Rah. Well, the quick answer to that question is we like the look of the X27. Yeah, because they're the same. They're the same tolerance-wise, but the X27 is distinctive and looks cool. Jeff Howard just walked in. I think he wants to be on the podcast. Now, he's pointing at the table because he's got a meeting. Oh, we have to leave. No, we got two more minutes or three more minutes or whatever. Yeah, everyone will be late anyway. You can can come in. Sit down, Jeff. Have a seat. We're about to wrap this up with the final questions from Nikki. Nikki Haverstock. These are good questions. A whole bunch of good questions from Nikki. who, Who did... Do she did like a TV show or something like yeah, that? She yeah, she did knockout. Yeah, I used to shoot with Nikki down in San Diego years ago when uh, when we kind of had a coaching situation with uh, our good friend Lloyd Brown. Ah, yeah, so yeah. Nikki's a, Nikki's a cool lady. And She's expecting too. Oh, that congratulations, yeah. Nikki. But I'm unsure. Uh, she she had some. We're friends, you know, and she had some uh, maternity photos on Facebook, and in one there was a John Deere tractor. And she had something about, you know, do you prefer this or this? And I said, well, the real question is, do you use Michelin or Firestone tires? And then I was going to double check with my dad as to see, you know, which he preferred and see if I could trust her further. Your your dad's a big agricultural equipment guy, right? Yeah, and he doesn't screw around with tires. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. See, I have conversations like this with my motorcycle friends. (laughs) He's a motorcycle guy, Michelins or Dunlops or, yeah, it pretty much comes down to Michelins or Dunlops around here. Yeah. But Bridgestones, too. You see some, I don't know if they're on the road bike tires, but some Maxxis. Oh, no, They've no, always no. seemed not cheap you, to me. Not, yes. And I'm not going to knock any particular brands, but no, you will not yeah. find me on Maxxis tires. Yeah. Bridgestones or Dunlops for me because they wear better more evenly. I, I think uh, I think the pops goes with Michelins. He, he listens to the show. Maybe he'll write in and tell us. I am running Continentals on my car, though. Oh, yeah, Continental. Those Continentals are not bad. I'm surprised how good they are. Hmm. All right, so back to Nikki's <laughs> questions. What are some of the most common mistakes, equipment-wise, that you see target shooters making at tournaments or during open range? Too much stabilizer weight. I was just about to say that. You not took enough, it right not out enough of my people mind. are 
uh, I don't want to say man enough to handle it, but not enough people have the gusto to handle a lot of stabilizer. Too many weight. people looking at what Brady's doing and going, oh, I need to try He's that. He's not even doing what Brady used to do. That's my point. Yeah. It's, yeah, so that's it. Number one, by far, and I can't think of any others, to be brutally honest. What products are mm. you feeling that people are overlooking, surprised more people aren't using? That's a tough one. I can't think of anything um, at the moment, but, um, you know, that would require having a product out there that is worthy. Um, maybe the only thing I would say, and this is a function of, you know, uh, cart before the horse, swing bars. Mm. I would say... I uh, think if more swing bars were available, people might use them. I would say Hoyt Super Rest. Okay, but you are seeing quite a few people using them at the Olympic Games. Right, but do you see the you know regular Joe Amateur stick one on the yeah, bow? No, no, no. They it's, probably would be. How well could it be a good arrow rest? It's three dollars. Yeah. Well, it it's good enough for the Koreans. It's good enough for you, dear listener. All right. What are some products you see being used at the highest level of competition that people in the U.S. aren't adopting? Well, well I think you just a named lot it. Of this actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Super rest. Super is up rest. There. You see. You don't see a lot of people shooting swing bars, but you could say that you know you see no one in the u.s shooting them essentially no. you go to europe you see some of those you see yeah. quite a few of those in Nîmes, even indoors um and of course a guy like sebastian rohrberg keeps them popular because people see what he's shooting and, and had a good finish at mm-hmm. uh, ireland there's a there's a yeah you can turn your phone off there that's okay we're just doing a podcast it's fine go ahead take the call all right all right <laughs> we got one more Actually, uh, what are some industry things you feel are more hype than science? Oh boy, I don't know. This uh, is th- these questions. They're really could good be questions. Their own podcast. That's the point. I'd need to do some research. You know what we're going to do? We're going to come back to we're going to come back to this one because that actually is well, we a whole podcast that. potentially. We, we should actually post these questions. We can have do that. people give their replies to them as well, and then debate that. Mm-hmm. All right. Good job, Nick. I, I think we're about to get kicked out of the room. Uh, we got to go. So it sounds to me like this is... End of show. End of show.